0: The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2010 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For other audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at foi.org. When we at the Friends of Israel uh, talk about Israel, uh, we are not simply making a political statement. That's not what it's about. Uh, What we're talking about is a position of faith that springs out of the Bible. That's what it is all about when we talk about Israel. And I thought you might find it interesting if I read from the Friends of Israel doctrinal statement because uh, we have, as part of our doctrinal statement, which I'm sure is online, we have many, many uh, sections, Holy Spirit, man, sin, salvation, and so on. And then we have a section on Israel. And here's what we say and what we believe at the Friends of Israel. We believe that Israel is God's chosen national people, Genesis 28, 13. In God's sovereign will, Israel serves as a channel of His blessing to the entire world. Boy, have we experienced that. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. For His glory, Isaiah 43, 7, and His witness to the nations, Isaiah 43, 10. God's election of Israel for this unique relationship is irrevocable. Romans 11:28 28, and 29, we believe Israel is distinct from the church and central to God's plan, past, present, and future. The unfilled, unfulfilled prophecies given to Israel in the Old Testament will find their literal fulfillment in Israel in a future time, Psalm 105, verses 6 to 10. So that's the basis of our conversation uh, about Israel. It's it's part of our statement of faith. That's what it's about. It's not to be thought of as politics or a political matter, uh, certainly as such, even though Israel is a political entity as it exists under the hand and blessing of God. But I have uh, a two-part uh, uh, sessions here uh, this morning and, and tomorrow morning as well, in which I want to look at uh, what I see as Israel at the precipice. We think about Israel, and we think about how God has prepared Israel for the future. And uh, just three points in, in that scenario of how God has prepared Israel for the future. And He has done it first of all with eternal covenants or promises. Genesis chapter 12, which is so familiar to us, is really very specific about a land in verse 1 and a nation in verse 2, a great nation, great nation of of Israel. And uh, we have these eternal covenants and promises, and some of them get very, very specific. For example, Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, uh, is actually uh, what I, I often refer to as God's land grant to the nation of Israel. And it's very clear, the borders are given. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, if you understand and no geography, you say, well, Israel does not have that today, and they don't. Uh, they're in the land, they're restored, but they certainly do not have those boundaries. And when we come to a prophetic word like that, we don't say, oh, God missed the boat. Uh, We don't explain it away. Uh, We don't spiritualize the promise. We say it's not fulfilled today, but we know it will be fulfilled in the future, in this case uh, by the time of the uh, kingdom, the millennial period, thousand-year period of the reign of Jesus Christ. So, Some of these um, eternal covenants uh, and promises that God made are very specific to Israel. Others are specific to Israel, but also extend to the whole world. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we have here God's principle to the world, which is in two parts. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Israel, all families of the earth shall be blessed. And we believe that God has fulfilled that spiritual blessing through the Jewish people, extending to us through the work of Messiah, through the work of Jesus, and through the giving of the Word of God, the Bible, which has been given to us. And so many times, Jewish people do not realize that the New Testament is also very Jewish. Uh, all Jewish authors except uh, perhaps uh, Luke. But um, now, as opposed to what I have just said, replacement theology teaches that these promises have either been given specifically to the church and not to Israel, but usually replacement theology doesn't say that. Some of the writers do, but usually replacement theology says they have been transferred to the church because of Israel's failure. Keep in mind that the uh, physical blessings have not been transferred to anybody. They are of Israel, and they will be fulfilled in Israel. And the spiritual blessings given in verse 3 through the work of Messiah and the giving of the Bible have to be thought of in terms of, of we benefit from those uh, those spiritual blessings for sure, but I think the key to understanding our relationship to them is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, we read that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And the key to understanding, then, the spiritual blessings that have flowed to us through Israel is not that we have co-opted them, not that we've taken them over, but we've been enjoined in the sense of, and the terminology of Scripture is fellow heirs, we are partakers, uh, we are enjoined in that sense. And so God has prepared Israel for the future With eternal covenants and promises, some of that benefit has flowed to us in in a very marvelous way through the Lord Jesus and through our Bibles. God has prepared Israel, uh, secondly, with a sense of national security that, in my opinion, is as firm as the individual security of the salvation of a believer In Jesus Christ so Israel is an elect nation with that is eternally secure that nation Israel cannot become unelect it's not possible God has elected Israel Um, and the conclusion is that Israel's status is guaranteed by God it's a promise not to be taken away It's real, and it's part of the eternal promises of God that we can absolutely depend upon. Now, a comment here. That does not mean that um, individual salvation of any particular Jewish person um, is handled by God any differently than the individual salvation of any Gentile person uh, in, in the whole wide world. And we know that when it comes to individual salvation, John 14:6 is so very, very clear. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No, no one comes to the Father except through me." That too, is an eternal truth. And uh, we, we have to keep those two things in mind. So when we talk about the elected nation of Israel, we're not talking about election of salvation of any particular person of of Israel, any more than we are of any Gentile, but it is absolutely necessary through Jesus Christ, Um, we have to realize that we personally, and you apply it to your situation, we personally have an individual responsibility to carry the gospel to every person. And that's a really, really important point, that we certainly do not want to be lost in, in things. Well, God has prepared Israel for the future uh, by eternal covenants, by a national election, and then by a regathered state of Israel in 1948. And if there ever is dramatic evidence of God's preparation of the nation for the future, it is 1948, the rebirth of the modern state of of Israel. It It wasn't at all probable, but you know, some... Some believers, 10 years before that, in 1938, had a biblical vision, not a vision in a you know, crazy sense, but a biblical understanding there would be an Israel someday. And they founded an organization, And the name of that organization to this day, the Friends of Israel, uh, out of a biblical sense of Israel. And so, God has Israel on the scene, but we know from, you know from the teaching here this week. Israel has to be on the scene in, in order for the tribulation to begin and for the signing of the covenant of peace. Antichrist has to be on the scene as well, and I know Rennie is teaching on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 on the specifics of that, but Israel must be on the scene, and Israel is on the scene today. They've been regathered, uh, regathered in, uh, in unbelief, but it's there. It needs to be there, and look, it is fulfillment of Ezekiel, chapter 11, verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. So there they are. There's the country in unbelief, ups and downs. We had an article in Israel, My Glory, a few years ago about the shrinking state of Israel. Sometimes it expands. Sometimes it shrinks. We know God's promise of Genesis chapter 15 will be fulfilled at a future time, according to God's land grant. But there are lots of ups and downs in between for absolutely certain. But one thing that is, that is so amazing that it's being recognized by uh, some authors of great note, Um, and that is uh, the miracle of present-day Israel. Now, there are two secular writers out there uh, who have authored books. One is uh, George Gilder and the Israel Test, and George Gilder is a um, conservative economic writer. Uh, We've known of him for decades, Uh, Wealth and Poverty, he makes a case for, for free enterprise and so on. But he's written this book to talk about Israel, and he projects Israel as a test for the entire world as to whether the countries of the world are going to do it as well as Israel is now doing it in terms of their prosperity and economic growth and all those things that are occurring in Israel against all odds, the internal terrorism, the external threats, and all of that. And here are writers appearing on the scene like, George Gilder saying, secular writer, saying Israel is a test for the entire world, countries of the entire world. And then Dan Senor, who is Jewish, his book, Startup Nation, and it's another one. It's probably more widely sold than George Gilder's book. And he demonstrates the tremendous things that are going on in Israel today terms of the economic development, uh, startup businesses, the prosperity, none of it makes sense. They're trying to explain it. And they, they use terms like it's a miracle, it's this, that, and the other thing. We can explain it. We can explain it. It's God at work fulfilling His promises. That's what's happening in Israel today. And, and really, I did a, a column in Israel My Glory in a recent issue. And I never, you know, the lead time is such, I'm never quite sure which issue it is to be able to mention it to you. But I did a column on both of those books, but I'm saying, you know, that's only part of the story. There's a rest of the story, and the rest of the story is God's blessing on that nation of Israel. I've watched it since my first trip to Israel 21 years ago. I've just seen the whole... It's dramatic. The infrastructure of the the country has changed. Everything has changed. Uh, Someone spoke to me yesterday about being in Israel in 1995. And I said, when you go back, you will be amazed at the changes. And it, it, it has transformed. It's the regathered state of Israel that God has on the scene. And so God has, in fact, prepared Israel for the future. It's there, just being there is that preparation. Lots of things to happen. Other speakers are speaking on specifics about that tribulation period. The other thing, as we think about Israel at the precipice in a a, a prophetic sense, is the world has its counter moves against Israel. We are actually observing today the alignment of nations around the world according to prophetic patterns. Ezekiel chapter 38 is a dramatic evidence of that, where in the first six verses of Ezekiel chapter 38, ten names are given to identify a future invading force of Israel. And those ten names represent, in those biblical terms, specific Geographical areas. And we can be pretty definite about what we can be very definite about what the areas are, and some of the names actually, in a sense, transfer today. So that, for example, in the text there, uh, Rosh is Russia, uh, Persia is Iran. Think with me uh, uh, just a little bit about Russia. And if we thought that the state of Russia with the fall of communism was going to become some kind of a benign entity. It just is not happening that way. And it's unfolding before our eyes. Here are headlines from the last two months and I'll just read a couple of them. United Nations sanctions loophole, it's about Iran. Russia can send missiles to Iran. Another headline, Russia lectures Obama on Iran sanctions. Russia warns U.S. against unilateral Iran sanctions. And what other things that Russia is currently doing, um, pushing back against the defenses of the United States, our nuclear capacity, missile defenses in Europe, and all of these things that Russia has underway, uh, Russia is part of this invading force in the future from the north. And um, there is one thing, though, that didn't make sense in terms of recent alignment of nations, and that is there are specific areas mentioned here in Ezekiel chapter 38 that we can identify with present-day Turkey. And it was unthinkable earlier that Turkey would be an invading force of Israel, Turkey was the first Islamic country to even recognize Israel, shortly after the founding of the state in 1949. Turkey did joint military and naval exercises with Israel. They were allies. Um, Israelis loved to vacation in Turkey. Where are you going on vacation? Going to Turkey. Many, many Israelis did that. Another thing that occurred uh, up until very recently, and that was the Israeli Air Force actually trained over the vast areas of Turkey. These were the kind of agreements that were in place. And it didn't make sense that Turkey would be part of an invading force of Israel. Didn't make sense in those terms. And then there was an election two or three years ago, and today we know what Turkey is. But Turkey is a champion of Hamas, the terrorist group, Turkey Today, has an Islamic agenda that, um, um, that encourages mob scenes against Israel throughout the country. Uh, Turkey has been uh, programming confrontations against Israel. And then you saw the flotilla. You know, something about that term flotilla that even bothers me. that like, sounds something like a boat show or something. like. I don't even like the term but we saw what the flotilla was, we saw how it was a programmed attempt by Turkey to break Israel's blockade of weapons being shipped in by sea to Hamas, the terrorist organization that is in total control of the Gaza Strip. Now, Gaza is a very small area, really very small. I think I figured out one time it was Gaza is about the same size area-wise as maybe the city of Philadelphia. It's a very small area. It's five, six, seven, eight miles wide and perhaps 20 or 22 miles long or something like that it has become a huge problem. And Gaza has become the focal point of the world's hatred of Israel. And so the flotilla, supposed to be humanitarian aid, to the people of Gaza. There was no humanitarian crisis in Gaza at all. It was a Turkish-inspired confrontation to break Israel's blockade of weapons being shipped in from uh, along the coast of Gaza. I don't know whether any of you caught it as I did, but um, on July 17 a new mall opened, a new luxury mall opened in Gaza, and I saw pictures of it. It looked like something you'd see outside of New York City or North Jersey or uh, some uh, upscale area uh, of of the world. Um, There was no and is no humanitarian crisis, but did we see what Turkey was doing in organizing world opinion? Did we see how quickly the nations of the world jumped on Israel as the problem? It's always that way. Israel's the problem. Well, Turkish-inspired flotilla supported by Turkey. Turkey has flipped. It's now um, establishing joint relations with Iran. It has flipped. It's part of this coalition, this invading force from the north, And we're seeing how the alignment of nations against Israel is is taking place. In the middle of uh, all of this that was going on, there was a tremendous outpouring of hatred around the world for Israel. I had the privilege of being on three briefings by telephone about the flotilla. One was by Danny Ialone, the deputy uh, foreign minister of Israel out of Jerusalem, Uh, and the second one by uh, Minister uh, Katz in the Embassy of Israel, and a third one by the Consul General of Israel in Philadelphia, with whom Friends of Israel has a really good relationship. And all three of them, it's very interesting to me, and I think it tells you where things may be going for the future. All three of them, while explaining how the flotilla was nothing but a provocation, the flotilla of ships and the attacks on the Israeli soldiers and all, all three of them quickly went to Iran. They quickly went to Iran as being the problem. And they quickly said, don't lose sight of the ball. The ball is Iran. And I'm only saying, and we can think about all that's going on internationally and nuclear weapons and weapons development and all that, and I'm merely saying that Israel clearly as the policy of the government through Jerusalem, through Washington, through Philadelphia, all those governmental entities, has their eye on a ball called Iran. So so hang on. If, in in my opinion, if and when Israel uh, should take action against Iran's nuclear weapons program, not only will Jewish people around the world be under great attack, but those who stand with the Jewish people will feel very lonely at the same time. And uh, I just uh, foresee... Um, who knows what, and it's in in the hand of the Lord for sure as to how he would take care of that. But one thing we know, Iran will not destroy the nation of Israel. It is not going to happen. There's another prophetic pattern in Scripture, and that is in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 2, a future prophetic pattern among the nations, and that is all nations in battle against Jerusalem. Also, Joel chapter 3, all nations judged by God for how they treated Israel and the Jewish people. And so, when this second point of um, the world's counter-moves against Israel, um, the alignment of nations against Israel… Um, Even Turkey now pulls in and we see these prophetic patterns uh, lining up. And so, you know, many times we're asked in our prophecy conferences, like we have our question and answer evening, which would be tomorrow evening, I believe. Uh, We're usually asked where we see the United States in prophecy. And certainly as we look back and we see the hand of God through um, presidents like uh, President Truman... Uh, with the declaration of United States support for the country right, a, right within minutes of the de- declaration of the state of Israel. Um, we see uh, President Nixon, actions that he took to support Israel uh, and, and others down through the years. We, we see the, the protective hand of God working through the United States. Unfortunately and sadly, uh, the United States is not doing its part in that regard anymore. Very, very little. It's definitely going the other way. Well, there's another prophetic pattern that's the world's counter move against Israel, and that is demands for worldwide leadership and according to prophetic patterns. And the prophetic pattern is so clear. Revelation chapter 13, uh, the first beast, Daniel chapter 9, Prince to come, the Antichrist he will forge alliances, he will use brutal force, he will also use a smooth tongue, and he will forge worldwide government. That's his job, that's what he does. Single world government, the coming together. It won't be easy for him, but he will exercise great capabilities toward bringing about worldwide government. And when we think about the headlines, you know, Greece goes under. Greece needs a bailout. Who bails out Greece? And it may spread to Italy and and, uh, Spain and, oh, the European Union. Who bails out the European Union? Oh, could that be the United States? Who bails out the United States? And you can see this political food chain just moving upward. Can we not? According to biblical patterns, and that is one world government. The push is there. It's not only the United Nations. It's G20. It's Copenhagen. It's the headlines we're reading about, the push for global currency. It's the Pope calling for global authority. And it's even the OECD, not as familiar maybe with that name. 31 countries now have combined for the Organization of Economic cooperation, and development and the demands for worldwide leadership according to prophetic patterns. Last thing I wanted to mention as we we think about the world's counter moves uh, to Israel and the Jewish people and according to prophetic patterns is the search for religious unity. Revelation chapter 13, the second beast, is the false prophet who, according to verses 11 through 13, deceives many, directs worship to the Antichrist, and pulls off religious unity in creating what we sometimes refer to as the one world church, the one world religious group, whatever the terminology would be appropriate, come that day. And when we think there about the things that we are living through, some of them are absolutely shocking. This is less than a month ago. A report on, uh, uh, that actually happened on June 17, a little over a month ago, Georgetown University held an event entitled, Evangelicals and Muslims, Perspectives on Mission and Partnership. Are you kidding me? It was held by academic types, as you can imagine. And listen to this. Listen to the deception of this. Muslims and Christians make up two-thirds of the world's population. What is the major thing they have in common? The question was asked. The answer is this. Partnership in pain under Israeli occupation. the world uniting its religions in a way, obviously, that would always exclude Israel and the Jewish people. Tim Munger will be uh, uh, speaking on uh, Friday morning, one of the seminars, put me onto a piece by the United Religions Initiative, founded in the year 2000, thousands of members, 65 countries, an extraordinary global community committed to promoting enduring daily interfaith cooperation. 100 religions coming together as an internet-based group. And so we see this push as well. Well, these are prophetic patterns that uh, we see unfolding before us. Um, Tomorrow, I'm going to have some encouraging things for you. (laughs) Obviously, uh, much of what will happen in the future, and we believe in the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ, uh, not as an escape mechanism, but as a biblical truth. Uh, of a raptured church. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. Uh, what an opportunity as, as we sense such a need for prophetic teaching uh, in our country, in our world. But Father, we, we pray that with prophetic teaching would come your objective for us, and that is holy, godly witnessing, living for Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that so sincerely, Father, for each and every one of us as we thank you for the word that you've given us, uh, the scriptures that are ours, uh, the truth that we handle, and the assurance that we have that you personally are in control of the future as we pray in the name of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.